Chapter Two of In Seven Stages A Flying Trip Around the World by Elizabeth Bisland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Jensen. Chapter Two Second Stage Amid My Dreams has always been a carefully elaborated and favorite one of the day upon which I should at last set out on my travels. I had thought out all the details of this episode, and what my emotions should be, a tasteful mingling of regret and exultation, as I bade my unfortunate home-staying friends adieu, and the great Cunarder swung free from the docks, bearing me away to the delights and mysteries of foreign lands. Even in my childhood my sympathy for the heroes and the fairy tales was always keenest at the moment when they waved their hands in farewell and turned their faces at last toward the magical adventures that stalked about, impatiently awaiting their advent in the strange countries where their havens lay. So it was a matter of active regret to me that by leaving America from the other side of the continent, this long-dreamed-of incident on the Cunard Pier was forever robbed of the salt of novelty. The White Star Steamship Oceanic, of the Occidental and Oriental Line, Charles H. Kempson, Commander, sailed from San Francisco at three o'clock Thursday afternoon of November the 21st, and I found it even under these circumstances a very exciting thing to leave one's country for the first time. It was much as I had imagined the other picture, the cabin full of ornate flower pieces, luggage thumping down the companionway, people running back and forth with the apparent purposelessness of ants in a hill, and the friends of the departing standing about in that helpless discomfort and uselessness that make even those whose hearts are torn by the separation long to be gone and put them out of their awkward misery. Many of the pleasant acquaintances I had made in this short visit to San Francisco had come to bid me Godspeed, accompanied by a delegation who had got wind of my eccentric performance, and came with no other credentials than a desire to gape. This was a figure not in my original picture. The whole army of martyrs to curiosity had afflicted me sorely in those two days on the Pacific coast, sending up their cards in the hotel with urgent messages, and on admission, confessing with placid impudence that their sole excuse for this intrusion was a desire to look at me, presumably as a sort of inexpensive freak show. Experience demonstrated, however, the high and delightful effectiveness of an elaborate and astonished civility that never failed to reduce their robust self-confidence to limp and writhing embarrassment in exactly three minutes, after which discovery I put the heathen to the edge of that manner and smote them hip and thigh. It must be admitted that my emotions on the occasion of this departure were much less tastefully mingled than I had planned they should be low spirits and loneliness being such active ingredients that they disguised all other flavors and it is to a little incident i shall forever remember with pleasure that i did not leave america quite unmixedly miserable at the moment when the gong had warned all visitors ashore there was handed up to me from the wharf a great nosegay of white chrysanthemums and roses to which was attached a card inscribed j m prather and bearing good wishes and new orleans penciled in the corner a hat was lifted from a handsome gray head, and two kind dark southern eyes gave me a smile of such friendliness and goodwill that it warmed my heart like a greeting from my own people. 
this unknown gentleman taking the trouble to bid me a silent fragrant farewell seems to me the most delicate and charming impulse of that much misinterpreted and scoffed at southern chivalry and should he ever see this i wish him to know how pleasant and lasting was the perfume of his flowers and kindly thought perhaps this is the proper moment to speak of a feature that was to me one of the most interesting of this unusual voyage i was a young woman quite alone and doing a somewhat conspicuous and eccentric thing yet throughout the entire journey i never met with other than the most exquisite and unfailing courtesy and consideration and if i had been a princess with a suite of half a hundred people i could have felt no safer or happier it seems to me this speaks very highly for the civilization existing in all travelled parts of the globe when a woman's strongest protection is the fact that she is unprotected i owe a gratitude beyond all adequate expression for the good will shown me everywhere it would require many pages to catalogue the names of those who gave up their comfort to ensure mine who considered no trouble of consequence if it secured me from annoyance and disappointment and who spared no exertion to make my journey speedy and comfortable in every port i touched i found the kindest of welcomes and i believe i have put a girdle round the earth of warm and generous friends whom i shall always remember with affection and gratitude the staff of the san francisco examiner t d mckay the burlington passenger agent the owners and officers of the oceanic lieutenant mitchell macdonald the norddeutscher lloyd people and my fellow passengers everywhere are among those who assisted me by every means in their power to effect my object and make my journey agreeable the last wooden link with the shore is withdrawn there is a fluttering storm of handkerchiefs a brief space of water in the beautiful bay and then we pass away to the west through the gates of gold america sinks out of sight slowly a vision of green hills and level sunshine we are divided from it now by a long ridge of whirling foam the bar where we begin to rise and fall with the first pulse of the sea even that vanishes at last and we plunge forward lonelily on the heaving dusky plain the wind of the coming night is cold and the fluttering paper prayers the chinese passengers cast overboard to ensure a safe voyage it catches and whips sharply away like autumn leaves falling in the november night not yet have the four hundred pigtails in the steerage composed themselves for the voyage they run to and fro with queer-colored parcels of strange shapes and keep up a ceaseless shrill guinea-fowl chatter very cheerful in tone most of them are going home to settle down upon money made from the foreign devils and whatever happens they can laugh even up on the hurricane deck the chill sea wind is tainted with that clinging pervasive odor that one comes to recognize as the chinese smell no cleanliness can combat it the ship from stem to stern is wonderfully clean yet never in the whole voyage is one quite free from the sense of it pierre loti declares it can be smelt on the chinese coast while the ship is still miles at sea on analyzation it appears to be compounded of the bitter fumes of opium and the smoke of incense sticks an object once permeated by the odor is never rid of it again and all china reeks of these strange stifling fumes i smelt it first in the chinese quarter of san francisco a place that left a sinister menacing impression upon my mind 
a sense of this being the first gnawing yellow of an overwhelming flood forced forward by the irresistible propulsion of an overpopulation behind one more of those huge blind migrations of hunger which like a tidal wave have obliterated flourishing peoples and races in the full flush of power and civilization nations who have vanished as herbage vanishes before the gigantic myriad voracity of desert locusts conquered by the mere dead weight of numbers that fill up interposing gulfs with countless dead bridging all moats between food and that pitiless relentless famine china has five hundred million of population each unit trained by generations of bitter struggle for survival to an industry and economy almost superhuman california has already nearly one hundred thousand of them thirty thousand living in san francisco every westward-going steamer carries from three to four hundred home men who have in a short time secured a competence and are returning to enjoy it and yet their number in america apparently suffers no diminution fenced out by law from california the wave flows around this obstacle into british columbia and trickles back drop by drop into the united states we do not assimilate them as we do our other immigration they hold to their own national dress manners and food that part of san francisco abandoned to them grows daily liker a chinese city they gut standing houses and reconstruct the interiors to suit their needs outside lanterns hang in front of doors that have chinese signs and above these frail balconies are strung about the windows where jars of chrysanthemums droop their ragged blossoms over the sill the air is thick with oriental odors street stalls expose for sale vegetables and fruits unknown to us and the tiny shops with their chinese furnishings and inscriptions sell wares which no american seeks at eleven at night this transplanted city of cathay is still all alive the streets crowded with a moving stream of black blouses and yellow faces every one cheerful chattering and wide awake the shops stand open and workmen continue their labors as if it were still high noon in a basement a few steps down from the street gold workers toil in a little black room seven by ten a wheezy gas jet flares above their heads and directly in front of each on the workbench at which they sit is a small bowl of coconut oil in which smolder faintly a handful of thin white racines the flame from these with a blowpipe softens and fuses the metals in which they work though the place is so narrow and squalid the bracelets and clasps and process of manufacture ornamented with ingeniously varied chisel marks are of considerable value the workers are impassively indifferent to our curiosity they work without raising their eyes as we handle their goods and do not even glance up as we leave toiling on unhurriedly though the night is half spent here as everywhere tiny corkscrews of pungent smoke curl up from a bunch of smouldering joss sticks stuck in a little earthenware bowl of sand plunging through a narrow door we grope along a low tortuous passage descend to the cellar by rickety greasy stairs thread more back corridors where in little branching rooms somnolent bundles lie motionless on shelves 
sodden with poppy fumes past greasy hot kitchens and cackling cooks with hissing midnight meals in preparation and emerge at last into a crowded apartment where men with hideous masks and flaming dresses like medieval devils in a mystery play stand idly about waiting for a cue and others radiant and befeathered as tropical birds pass to the stage by the two doors a hideous din of banging scraping and clashing of brass above all a shrill monotonous chant in a penetrating falsetto it is the green room and wings of the dom kwai yuan the elegant flower house where the gems of the classic drama of china are enacted and where the actors lodge eat and smoke their opium the performance began at four in the afternoon and has gone on without intermission ever since it will end at twelve rapid changes of costume stiff with gold needlework are taking place faces are being painted those of the fiends with oriental ingenuity of hideousness huge beards are assumed and gorgeous headdresses with flags and long pheasant feathers waving above them we go through the left door and sit on the stage as if it were the time of queen bess and this was one of mr william shakespeare's new plays the play goes on undisturbed by our presence the actors carefully stepping to one side as they pass us the auditorium is packed tight as a sardine box with standing chinamen who listen as long as they find it amusing and then go away up in the gallery two or three sheep-faced chinese women lend a somewhat indifferent attention the heat is frightful there are no windows and but one door and the smell is overpowering not a stench of unwashed bodies as in a low-class caucasian crowd but this same strangling mixture of opium and incense by contrast even the ill-smelling streets are delightful and we escape the detective who bears himself with amiable scornful courage in this resort of high-binders leads the way through fetid crime-stained alleys a loud warning note sounds from somewhere near us and in an instant the street swarms with men passing composedly with their hands under their blouses the detective turns into a low room with a double nail-studded door a table covered with a strip of matting and two benches are the only furniture the owner is calmly smoking a cigarette apparently engaged in some remote and subtle ratiocinative process ten seconds ago in this room and fifty others the game of fontan was in furious progress that one note emptied them all we mount stairs to a dingy joss house where more incense sticks burn before a trinity of calm-eyed idols the god of the sombre heavens the god of the southern seas and the god of happy wealth and stroll through the rooms of a restaurant beautiful with carvings and silk hangings kakamono and marble and ebony furniture but the night wanes and our heads are giddy with this clinging sickening odor we will go back to the hotel it is the smell of the chinese sailors and passengers that wakes the memories of the strange sights and sounds the night is cold top-gallant sails are being set to catch the rising evening wind and the cries of the pigtailed yellow seamen are shrill and raucous like the interjectional and acrimonious talk of cats on a back fence it is time to go below and prepare for the first night at sea 
for the next four days my only memory of the pacific ocean is of a foaming flood of emerald that roars past my porthole making a dull green twilight within i see only this and the slats of the upper berth there are six of these slats of this i am unwaveringly sure though i am not usually accurate about figures because i counted them several thousand times it was the only mental process of which i was capable during the long nights while i lay and listened to the loud combat of the thundering squadrons outside whose white plumes flashed into sight again with the first gray gleam of day the battle still raging every plank in the ship creaked and groaned and shrieked without once pausing to take breath and i regarded with contemptuous indifference the frantic tobogganing of my most treasured possessions all over the stateroom what were the fleeting things of this world to one to whose unexampled sufferings death must soon put a period it was comforting to think that one's last will and testament was made but hateful the contemplation of burial at sea it was such an unnecessarily tragical end to this ridiculous wild goose chase the fifth day the boiling pot of the sea subsided and i began to take beef tea and resolution to live other women were also beginning to straggle back to life on deck pale wan and with neglected hair tied up in lace scarfs they lay in steamer chairs swathed in rugs and were indifferent about their appearance and to the charms of conversation the week was nearly done before the whole ship's company assembled at table and we began to take note of our fellow voyagers in this water caravansary it was a cosmopolitan crew norwegians russians english french japanese americans germans hungarians and even one manxman our chief engineer with a pleasant out-country flavor to his speech and full of tales of a profoundly esoteric humor a kindly mellow nature like one of william black's old highland lairds there is the englishman who has made his fortune in china and retired and is bringing a new-made wife out by way of america to see the east where he had lived so long an angular english girl containing the potential british matron who knits gray stockings and keeps herself carefully aloof from acquaintances that might be detrimental in the future the typical american girl is with us traveling alone greyhound waisted tiny of foot clad with tailor-made neatness and armed with an amateur photographer's outfit she is on her way to visit the american minister to japan and a couple from georgia who have lived twenty years in los angeles but have lost nothing of their genial old-fashioned georgia ways and looks and still speak with a soft southern drawl we have a full cargo of missionaries fifteen in all mostly young women and on this occasion all presbyterians there is much missionary travel back and forth on this line for the work of proselytization in china and japan goes briskly on among them is a young doctor who has just taken her degree and is going to the east to save both souls and bodies she wears reform clothes and has a strong well-cut face from which the heavy hair is brushed smoothly back she regards the ten years exile into which she is entering as merely the apprenticeship of her professional career and is likely to consider the physical welfare of her patients of more importance than the acceptance of her creed 
she is the plain wholesome product of northwestern life and a northwestern female college speaking the speech of that region with a broad and blurring r her future is simple and pleasant to guess at one is less sure of the handsome slim girl of twenty with deep-set gray eyes and the delicate pointed fingers of what the palmists call the psychic hand indicating undue spiritual intensity of nature in a spasm of the romantic exaltation to which young women of her age are subject she has condemned herself to a decade of lonely exile in a remote japanese town but a pair of enchanting dimples in her fresh young cheeks war with the maiden severity of her earnest eyes and she is not indifferent to a young girl's natural joys though she mentions them loftily as things in the remote past appealing to her now forever put away it would be pretty and amusing as a girl's exalté fancies are sometimes were not the sacrifice of her best young years to indifferent heathen not so real and so melancholy to think on one is tempted to pray that some simon may come to rescue this christian iphigenia from her squalid little oriental altar before the knife of distaste and ennui shall have murdered her youth and charm the sea is becoming very blue the emerald fades as we pass into these vast liquid fields and the blue deepens and deepens until one finds no words to express no simile to convey the intensity of its burning azure sapphires would be pale and cold beside this sea palpitating with wave shadows deep as violets yet not purple and with no touch of any color to mar its perfect hue it flames with unspeakable many-faceted splendor under a sky that is wan by contrast with its profundity of tint and the very foam that curls away from our wake is blue as the blue shadows in snow the cutter-like prow of our ship flings up two delicate plumes of pearl and the sunlight shining through these has wrought upon the blue floor beneath us a rainbow arch that encircles our onward path moves with our moving and shimmers upon the waving flood as the iris shimmers upon a peacock's breast it is here enormously deep the longest plummet line ever let into the sea went down here and only found bottom at the depth of four thousand fathoms if one should choose this place to be cured of the wound of living he could never reach the firm earth beneath he would hang forever in these soundless icy depths moving scarcely at all with the slow obscure flux of the deep sea tides surrounded by strange formless protoplasmic life blind senseless and inert the germs from which through billions of years he himself had risen working out here in these blue solitudes of silence the mysteries of generation and upward growth he would never perish or be devoured or reabsorbed like his fellows but age after age would lie enclosed as in a frozen blue gem with burial more splendid and secure than the pharaohs the voyage is a lonely one in all these many thousand miles we never see a sail or any shore there is no sea life about us save of the sword-winged birds that follow us from san francisco to japan without sign of fatigue wheeling easily after us as we plunge onward at the rate of three hundred and fifty miles a day and having quite the appearance of loafing along and waiting for us to catch up it fills one with a sort of despair to get up every morning and see the same sea the same horizon the same birds 
nothing to mark our progress except the figures marked each day at noon on the map hanging over the companionway our small circumscribed world daily grows in importance in our estimation we know intimately the characters tastes and histories of our companions we take each other's photographs and exchange warm professions of friendship we advise each other about the future and confide the incidents of the past we play draughts and quoits and cards we get together in corners and criticize the missionaries and are criticized by them and all the while go steadily westward and westward driven by wind and steam with all our brown sails spread we fleet through the moonlight with stately curtsyings calm mornings dawn behind us we sail under the vast arches of rainbows that rise out of the water but half a mile away from the ship and span the whole heavens and at evening the sun falls into the sea straight before us amid unimaginable flames and glories where for an hour we rise and fall on the heaving bosom of the ocean in a great dream world of jeweled splendor of sapphire and gold of purple and pearl this lonely vessel swarms with life down in the steerage are over four hundred yellow people all sorts and conditions of chinamen going home with their earnings many are merchants who have a merchant's pass which enables them to return to america when their business across the water is finished one old gentleman with an iron-gray pigtail is a forty-niner he came to california during the gold fever and is now going home to die in china having thriftily calculated that it costs less to cross the waters alive than it does in a coffin he was rich in those early days but as he explains in fluent and profane american fontan poker euchre and horse races have reduced his store to an immodest competence however as he nears the chinese shore he feels he can afford to wear a magnificent and lurid pair of brocaded trousers of the sort popular in china when he left and still after forty years of the very latest fashion down in these chinese quarters placed where he can catch the best of the healing salt breezes is a young fellow of six-and-twenty who lies motionless all day with crossed hands and half-closed eyes these hands and the sunken face are the color of old wax as impassive as if indeed they were cut from some such substance it is common among the emigrants to america to fall sick with a consumption and to struggle back in this way to die at home he seems afraid to breathe or move lest he should waste the failing oil or snuff out the dying flame ere he reaches his yearned-for home the flowery kingdom the celestial empire on the after-deck fontan rages all day long also an intricate game of chess or dominoes when a less dangerous amusement is desired forward there is a space for women where five or six retroussé-eyed females find a temporary home they are gentle mild-faced little creatures who are quick to give smile for smile and answer english amiabilities with what appears to be equally amiable chinese all the sailors are chinamen and are popular with the commanders they are obedient not given to strikes at inconvenient moments and are under the control of a boatswain one of their countrymen with a keen shrewd face and an air of unquestioned authority he hires them and pays them their wages and the owners reckon with him alone 
he is a person of consequence and wealth and owns much real estate in san francisco sufficient proof that the chinese as the white jack tar is the victim of fraud and oppression these ships like those of the merchant antonio voyage to the east for cargoes of tea silk and spices there are three lines between china and america two the pacific mail and the oriental and occidental controlled by the central pacific railway magnates huntington crocker and stanford have their termini in the united states and the canadian mail sails from vancouver they carry out to china returning subjects of the yellow emperor passengers for the east flour connecticut clocks hats shoes and such select assortments of yankee notions as are required by the barbarian returning they fetch hundreds of bales of raw silk worth seven hundred dollars apiece which must be rushed across the continent immediately upon arrival and have left the ship and are on their way across the country to the eastern mills before the passengers have landed the usual cargo is from twelve hundred to thirteen hundred bales and in june the tea trade begins seventeen hundred to twenty seven hundred tons in every ship the whole of the formosa crop some six million tons comes to us the english will not drink the light perfumed oolong they demand something coarser and stronger spices pepper and tapioca come from singapore and gambier in great quantities for coloring american beer with thousands of bales of gunny sacks from calcutta for american wheat and from manila hemp and jute at last there comes a day when one rises in the morning and the sailors pointing to the horizon say that is japan and one cries with cheerful excitement yes yes though there is nothing but the same monotonous sea and sky visible to the unpractised eye the missionaries all land here and are full of emotion at arriving at the scene of their labors to save immortal souls the chinese steerage clatter more noisily than ever pleased to behold this outlying portal of their home the japanese poet kachi returning from travels in america where he has been arranging for translations of his works into english lifts his head again he is a grave mysterious-eyed person who has not spoken to anyone during the voyage and has usually had his face his dark smooth mask-like face hidden behind a french novel this face is lit now with a fine patriotic glow as a delicate gray cloud grows up along the edge of the water and slowly a vast cone-like cumulus a lofty rosy cloud takes shape and form gathers clearness of outline deepens its hue of pink and pearl melts softly into the gray beneath soars sharply into the blue above and reveals fujiyama the divine mountain having seen it one no longer marvels that it dominates the japanese imagination that every fan screen and jar every piece of lacquer and porcelain bears somewhere its majestic its exquisite outline twelve thousand three hundred and sixty-five feet high it rises up alone and unmarred by surrounding peaks alone in fair calm beauty the highest mountain in all the islands in the old Aino tongue, the Ainos whom the warlike Japanese conquered and drove northward, Fuji signified mother of fire, and the Japanese added the word Yama, their general term for all mountains. For more than two hundred years the mother of fire has been clad in snows and has made no sign. 
traces of terrible ancient rages lie along her ravaged sides but her passions are all stilled peace and purity crown her and he who hath seen fujiyama's fair head lifted out of the blue sea and flushed with the dream of the coming day layeth his hand upon his mouth and is silent but the memory of it passeth not away while he lives end of chapter two recording by holly jensen